Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 76, Allison Hancock. My name is Curtis Payne, and this is my podcast, a rambling, conversational, riff, jam, free association, let it go where it may type of thing. Uh, <clears throat> you know the deal. If you've been listening for a while, if you don't, that's the deal. Um, <clears throat> I got together with Allison a couple weeks ago. Um, been trying to set it up for a while. It's been really hard for me to schedule anything, and I was really hoping to catch um, Hot Dolphin was still together, I think, when I asked her to do it, and I was trying to see their last show, which I missed. Never got to see him. Um, I did see her with Peace Beast at one point, and I already already liked them because um, of Kelly Queener. And uh, I could, I don't know, you know, certain people just catch my fancy, you know, they just seem cool. They just seem like somebody I would like to talk to. So I asked them over, and I don't really know that much about them. And um, this was uh, one of those instances, and we ended up having a really great conversation and got really, uh, got really deep into some stuff about relationships and life and got another chance to talk about yoga which I love I like to talk about yoga more than I like to do it these days but um I still stand by what I say about it but it's kind of hasn't been a reality in my life lately because I've just been traveling so much and things have been going on and I am just coming off this really infuriating <clears throat> conversation with my sister I sat down to record the intro to this podcast about two hours ago and she called me and we were like hashing out this argument that um, we've probably just been having this argument since we were kids and like neither one of us can hear each other and it, it's so it's so emblematic of a lot of situations it doesn't really matter like whether or not a person is right or wrong you know at some point you just got to acknowledge how somebody feels about something and I think that's what Allison and I actually talked about that at one point during this conversation that there's there's some there's this balance between like acknowledging what somebody has what experience they've had of something that you've said or done and then there's whether or not you're going to actually internalize that and own it you know like you got to listen to people and you got to say okay I respect and I hear that that's you know how you feel about what I'm doing but it let me you know you know allow me to retort I don't know how does that work exactly because I know that in many instances I've had a girlfriend or somebody come to me and say you did this you are doing this this is what you think this is who you are this is how you are and it's completely off the wall to me it's completely alien to me and in recent years what I've learned I mean it's so far from anything that's going on inside me I'm like how could you even say that I mean I could understand you could perceive that but you're convinced that I'm doing it on purpose and that's a whole other thing and you know in the past I might have just said you know I might have just yelled at him or run out of the house or you know I don't know what now you know I've been coached and instructed that you say okay well I respect that that's the way you feel and that seems like a really level-headed and rational thing to say but instead it usually makes people even matter that I've just said that that I it's as if I'm saying that what they're saying is not real but the thing is that nothing anybody thinks is real Nothing anybody, nobody's perception of any situation is real. And we actually need to be skeptical about anything that our head feeds us. I mean, it's not to say that you just completely don't trust yourself and you don't 
and you don't have it, you know, respect your intuition or anything at all. But you should always have a loophole in there that, like, you know what, I'm open to more information. It's kind of like the scientific theory. Like, this is my working theory of what's going on here, but I'm open to being to seeing it a different way. That to me is like the only answer. Because if you go around completely convinced of your perception of shit, that's when you're insane. That's when you're crazy. And that's when you don't line up with other people and you can't have relationships. And of course there are extremes to that where you become codependent and you care too much about what other people's perceptions of situations are and you don't trust your own enough. Um, and it's, you know, I've been trying to dial this shit in a long time and like me and my sisters is the fucking final frontier, I think, or maybe not. Maybe it's the reason that I have a hard time getting along in romantic relationships because I haven't worked this shit out with how I, my sister and I get along. I don't know. Um, I think, you know, some people might say that's pretty twisted. I don't know, but it's probably one of the first significant relationships I had with another, with a female was my sister. You know, she's two years younger than me, and I, I grew up with her. And, you know, there's probably a lot of f- formative stuff in there about, you know, like being on the hook as the big brother, but also trying to be yourself and be who you actually are. And, you know, to me, that's one of the biggest challenges in a relationship is like being, you know, a partner to somebody, like doing your own thing, having your own life, being an individual, but also respecting that if you've decided to be in a relationship with somebody, you've become a unit and you're supposed to be considering them. You know, and it's real hard to have conversations about that with somebody. It's either there or it isn't because when it isn't, you just wind up defending your position and nothing ever happens. So I've just come off of that kind of conversation and I don't, I'm not capable of talking about much else. But um, I think that it sets the stage nicely for this conversation with Allison. So let's roll on into that. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I'm not the only weirdo who thinks that way. <laughs> exactly. That is that's a big a big part of the goal. Can you hear yourself in those headphones? Yes. The idea of relating when you get to eavesdrop on a conversation and people are being candid and they're being frank and they're actually, you know, there's no script, there isn't any goal there and this is what they really talk about and then you go, "Wow. Well, yeah, that that's not that different from what goes on in my head." And mm-hmm. I think that's a really awesome thing. And there's so many people doing good versions of that now and we are rolling all right (laughs) so yes it is a beautiful day out here you were just saying that you were sitting on the porch watching the yeah watching the dogs run around and be stupid (laughs) what kind of dogs do you have um they're pit mixes i think um one might have some hound in him too like pit lab hound were they rescue dogs or anything yeah yeah Yeah? they both were and well not into the traditional sense actually like one was the last puppy that was about to be taken to the pound Mm-hmm. Um, like somebody I knew through my ex through somebody it was like a long line of connections mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and she was like the last one and the other one my current boss and my friend um, found him in the woods when she was hiking he would have been abandoned out there with another dog and so he he needed a home <laughs> that's awesome what are their names uh, Pickle and Guinness Pickle and Guinness yeah. <laughs> is it pickle like the British kind of pickle the uh the stuff they sell that's almost like a chutney do you know about oh, that oh yeah I, I I was actually I think she's just like a regular dill pickle um <laughs> it's more about her shape well yeah. it turns out that like I, that pickle stuff that they make that's it is some kind of a weird it's, I think it's from like the British having the colonies in India mm-hmm. and then bringing back chutney and then making it something else you know there's a thing called a pickle and you can buy this stuff like Bransom pickle and the the one time i had it the 
person who gave it to me said, but you really need to have this with a Guinness or some other kind of stout. Yeah. And oh, that's and funny. Yeah. <laughs> so pickle and Guinness go together. Yeah. Guinness came with his name. So I didn't, uh, he had been named He'd by, already been named by, him. um, by my boss, by my friend, Laura, who, um, had fostered him basically for a while until she, and I wasn't sure if I wanted another one, but she couldn't find anybody for him. Mm-hmm. The other dog got adopted right away. And I was like, well, let's just try it and see if they get along and. And they did. They did at first. <laughs> and they were playing in the sunlight today. Yeah, they were. They were having a good time. So you, I, I de- okay. So I've done enough research to know that you're from Danville, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and that's north of Harrisburg. Yes, up there. And I know that because I've been spending a lot of time in Harrisburg recently. And is it? It's on the Susquehanna. It's right on the Susquehanna. Yeah. What was that like as a place to grow up? Um. Well, I moved there when I was in seventh grade. Oh. So. Um, it was pretty. It was very pretty. It was nice to have so much outdoor space. And, you know, where I lived, basically, there it was like a five-minute walk and you were in the woods, you know, mm-hmm. and you, there were trails and stuff and you could hang out. Um, but as far as culture, <laughs> it was a little, um, little devoid of, um, you know, any sort of mainstream or interesting mm-hmm. culture, you know, like the uh, radio is awful, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it just was... Um, there isn't really like, there are some little artisan galleries, but there wasn't really exposure to what's going on in the art world or Mm -hmm. music world or anything like that. And what was it that gave you a sense? And I'm assuming you had one that there was more to be had. Honestly, I really didn't know that there was more. I was kind of, um, I was, I grew up in a very, my family's very conservative, very Christian. And so I was grew up in a very sheltered, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've had t- CDs that I got cause I was like, what's this interesting mm-hmm. thing? I've had them taken away and thrown out. <laughs> and yeah. Oh so, yeah. That yeah, kind. Yeah. Uh-huh. That kind. And, um, so it was a little extreme and, um, I didn't get really exposed to a lot of that sort of stuff until I went to college and I kind of made a pact with myself, I guess, when I went that I was going to just sort of abandon any sort of belief system I had in place or any sort of, you know, ideas about the world and just see what happened. And, um, I actually got into music more because I went to a, this is the nerdiest thing ever, because I went to a lecture, um, on, I think it was, I don't remember what it was about, but they talked a lot about Joy Division and, um, and sort of the scene in Manchester, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and factory records, factory and records mm-hmm. and all that. And they talked about the movie 24 hour party people. Mm-hmm. And they talked about, um, like SLC punk and it's like some other movies about, punk and uh, mm-hmm. post-punk music and i right. was like oh that's really interesting i had no idea and so I, from that i fell in love with joy division and that was kind of the beginning of my and was that a, into music <laughs> was there a piece of it there too because i remember you know i liked new order and uh and then i found joy division backwards from new mm-hmm. order and uh and i then i did see 24-hour party people later on and and the, no wait that's not what i'm thinking of i'm thinking of the uh joy division movie uh, what was that called? Did you ever see that? It was like it, it was a, like a biopic about Ian, Ian Curtis. Curtis and, yeah, I I think I did see it, but I don't. It was a while ago. I don't remember the details. Had, <laughs> he had no interest in being a musician or being in a band until they. He went to see the Sex Pistols, mm-hmm. and like he came out of that and was like, "Oh, if they can do that, I can do that." Was that was there any piece of that in it for you that this was like? You were just interested, and also this was attainable, like a thing that yeah, you could do? it definitely at first wasn't really a thing I thought I could do. I mean, I always played music growing up, um, but more like I, I was taught like classical piano mm-hmm. and like church music. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so I knew I could play music, 
but I I think like listening to that music I was not like I was like I have no idea how they do that like mm-hmm. that's completely foreign to me I have no idea how they're how they're making mm-hmm. that those sounds um I think maybe a little later whenever I got um into beat happening and um velvet underground mm-hmm. more like those bands when I heard them um I was like oh I can do this mm-hmm. um and maybe that's also I, when I first started playing music in bands, I played drums. So um, those bands have very simple drum beats, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. can kind of be like, "Oh, I can do that." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boom, tap. Yeah. So well, I'm interested to explore this a little bit. Um, w- like when you, you're growing up, and I've known a quite a, f- a, a few people who have grown up with parents that were very strictly Christian in that way and really um, controlled access to pop culture and. And indoctrinated, you know, not just with the whatever the spiritual notions are, but like and the dogma, but also this is a full on lifestyle. Like we don't mix with people who aren't Mm -hmm. Christians like us and all of that. What when you were in that, when you were growing up like that, before you knew anything different, what was that like before you had a contrast to um, put to that? Um, I think, (laughs) yeah, I don't know that I can really remember because I definitely, um, I mean, maybe when I was very young, I, I, it just was how it was, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, everybody's like this. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, um, they sent me to a private Christian school when I was in first grade, but in second grade, I switched to a public school. I think that's probably when I first noticed that, Hey, other people do things differently Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to be more like, well, why can't I, you know, watch this TV show? Mm-hmm. My friends watch this TV show. It was probably something stupid too. Like, um, what was that one? It was like a cartoon that had the clown. I don't, it was the terrible. The Simpsons? No, well, no. I wasn't allowed to watch that Definitely either. Definitely not that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was something stupid, like Saturday morning cartoon that like all my friends watched. And I was uh-huh. like, I want to watch that. And like, they're like, mm-mm. <laughs> so, um, so it was really more, I mean, did... Was there an experience of like digging, like, you know, I mean, I'm interested in spirituality. I don't have a dogma. You mm-hmm. know, I was raised Catholic, but a super liberal Catholic. Right. Um, more, more like uh, inclined to just behave in the best of like what is the you know, greatest hits of Jesus, like doing to others and compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, you know, mm-hmm. charity, those kinds of things. And, you know, that was basically what you know, my relationship with that was, I wasn't ever really being told, don't do this or God is going to send you to hell or, um, strike you down. But I mean, you, did you grow up with that kind of message that, um, it was never, um, super, super scary, strong like that, but it was definitely like, I mean, there was some, the, some hell and, and, uh, hell and damnation, damnation. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And, you know, very, a lot of it was more like, um, just a lot of like very strict social rules. Mm-hmm. And like, you can't, you know, you can't wear that dress You or you have to do this or you have to, you know, um, I, I don't know. I remember being like really little and being told like that, that being in a store with my grandma and being mm-hmm. like, I really love this dress. And we were like looking for a dress for me to wear to some occasion. I was like, I want this one, you know? And she's like, that is not like acceptable for mm-hmm. a little girl to wear or something mm-hmm. like that. It wasn't, I don't, I mean, I don't really exactly remember the dress looked like. I think it just was cause it was mostly black or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, little girls can't wear mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I think a lot more of it for me. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot more less hell and damnation, although there was some of that, but more just like really strict social controls. Mm-hmm. Was there any sense of um, uh, transcendence involved? Any kind of like P 
peace or uh you know know, people always talked about that yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure um you know and when i was little like i definitely i believed it because that's all i knew and you know i i bought in and i you know but at the same time i feel like i was was really doubtful Mm -hmm. like i remember having a lot of questions and being like you know well how do we know that Satan isn't really the good guy. Like, right. You know, stuff like that. And I would ask my mom and she'd be like, oh, don't, don't ask these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how, how do you know? And like, well, I did the thing that it said to do. I did the, you know, prayer or whatever. And, and I'm supposed to feel at peace now. I'm supposed to feel like, do I feel that? Or am I just making it up in my head? Like, I think that I was always sort of skeptical about like what, how much of it was, you know, mm-hmm. real and how much of it was just because people told the me that's power how it of should. suggestion. Exactly, uh-huh. the power of suggestion. And um, I don't think I voiced that a lot to people at the time. I think I knew mm-hmm. better. I just was like, oh, yeah, I did it. It felt like it was supposed to. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah. I had, I think that's a similar. I mean, my, like I said, mine, mine wasn't that strict, but it was definitely, um, it's something that I questioned a whole lot and like, you don't have a contrast for it. Like Mm -hmm. what's not peace, you know, like, I mean, I don't know if I'm gaining peace from this, if I don't know what not peace is, you know, like, and I think when you're a kid, you're, you're really being projected the stuff that your parents have already experienced. And they're the things they don't want you to have to experience. Um, and maybe this is a big conclusion to draw from that, but it's sort of like every, I mean, everybody has to have the come up against not peace to really work towards, um, some kind of thing. Right. And as a kid, yeah, yeah, as a kid, you just, you have no concept of, of what's really out there, especially if you're not exposed to things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you have no idea, like, right. Um, you know, you're, you're told that there are bad things in the world, but you don't really have any sort of understanding of what that means. Yeah. There's no, that's the kind of the, the odd sort of, um, paradox of it is that like, you know, really, and I, I kind of believe this about for sort of faith and, and any kind of spiritual practice that it, it has to exist in the context of doubt and it has to exist in the context of like knowing what the alternative is and like knowing that there are ills and there are um, there's suffering and there's all of this kind of stuff and and really truly practicing any kind of discipline around that stuff is with that, you know, as the, the contrapose or whatever is that, you know, the thing that they, they go hand in hand, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just always in that thing, you're blissed out and it doesn't really, you're not even blissed out. It's just a flat line. Right. You know? Yeah. So where did this, this, the, so I guess you had questions, you know, early on, were you, was there anybody in Danville that was like, you know, had the record store or had the cool records that you were, you weren't allowed to listen to that you could go listen to or, the, you know, let um, you plug in an electric instrument or no, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, they did have like electric instruments in the church and stuff, but they were using them right. for, for church stuff. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there was not a record store. There was a record store the next town up. And I used to go to the thrift stores a lot and just kind of poke around and see what I could find there. But mm-hmm. you know, you're usually finding, you're finding the remnants of the things that people in that area have. So right. you're not finding like crazy rock and roll albums. Right. You're finding right. <laughs> a lot of James George Taylor. and Tammy Wynette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah George Jones women yeah whatever <laughs> yeah yeah but you're, you're you're seeing a lot of that a lot of country a lot of stuff like mm-hmm, that and mm-hmm. I was never that just never really captivated me it's not like I just like it strongly or anything it's not really offensive it just right. doesn't but that wasn't gonna break any horizons for you or right, in, yeah. inspire you or anything yeah. like that yeah so 
like the piano playing was that a serious thing you were doing or was it just sort of to participate in yeah it um i think it was just a thing like my mom plays piano in oregon and so I, like when i was little there was always a piano in the house and i always wanted to learn it and so when i was old enough that i started lessons and then we moved around a lot so i would kind of take lessons a little bit here and then we'd move or you know something would happen where the piano teacher wasn't teaching anymore mm-hmm. or something and i wouldn't for a while and then i'd take some again so i was never super serious about it i don't think but what was all the moving um my dad's job have us move a couple of times um and then um, when I was younger, before we started the moving around part, um, I just switched schools a bunch because my parents were like, you should go to this Christian private school. No, we think you should go to the public school. We don't like that Christian school anymore. Oh, no, we don't like the way the public school is teaching either. Now you go back to a different Christian school. And like, mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. lot of that. And so I was like, oh. <laughs> so fi- anyway. physically moving the the residents in order to line up with the, with the school. school. Well, actually, we lived in the same house up until I was 10, but I just was switching schools around. Mm-hmm. Still living in that same house. And then um, then we moved to Ohio, and we moved to Michigan, and then we moved back to Pennsylvania, but a different location. Wow. So, And that was all before I was 13. So wow. it was a lot of moving around and switching schools when I was younger. So you're, so part of it was your father's job, but part of it was also your them trying to find just the perfect spot. Yeah, I think so. Just like, are you <laughs> close to them now? Do you talk to them much? Um, I do talk to them, and I, I you know, I, I care about my parents still, and we don't have any bad, you know, right, right. I think that they know I don't believe everything that they <laughs> go along to, but we really, um, it's it's sort of a we we know we disagree and we don't talk about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm okay with that. If as long as they're you know letting me do what I need to do, they can do what they need to do. That seems to be the detente a lot of people reach with their parents over stuff like that yeah like let's just not talk about <laughs> yeah let's focus on the things that we have in common yeah and yeah. be able to share those things because mm-hmm. they're not bad people they just you know they were tr- they were trying really hard to do what they thought was right which is what everybody's really doing you know mm-hmm. even people who make terrible decisions mm-hmm. usually don't I, I believe don't do them because they're like haha i'm gonna do this really mean awful thing they're like they honestly think somehow in their heads that that's the right thing or the, the appropriate yeah. thing to do I agree with you 100% about that. I think it's really, that is, a, to me, an extremely, like, evolved and compassionate, you know, attitude to have. And it's not always available. But it's really, that's what's going to help us with people who do stuff like that regularly that are, are is actually destructive to everyone else and is hurtful to everyone else is to first understand how this happens. That most people think they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they do think that they're doing what's best you know, based on their limited perspective, you know, right. yeah. and the, and the best way to change the mind of somebody like that, if that is necessary, if it's, if it is a harmful thing is first to approach them with like, I get it. <laughs> like, you know, I get you, you're not a bad guy. You're not other, mm-hmm. you know, you're somebody I can relate to, but Hey, you know, what you're doing is not so good. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I think for me too, like a big thing of it is whenever you have to have a conversation like that, be like, you know, I know you think that this is what you're doing, but it makes me feel mm-hmm. <laughs> like this. Because once you talk about how it makes you feel, they can't, there's nothing you can say. Yeah. Like, what do you, no, it doesn't make me feel the way. You can't tell me how I feel. Well, yeah, <laughs> people will try to do that. Yeah. And I actually, <laughs> not all that long ago, I learned, this is kind of a funny way that I learned this. I was watching that movie, um, I forget what it's called, with Annette Benning and um, Julianne Moore, where they were a gay couple. Hmm. And... Um, I was actually watching the Oscars and they were showing a scene from that where they were having a big argument as a couple's argument. And um, 
Julianne Moore was saying how she felt about something, and Annette Benning uh, was was discounting it and saying, "Oh, poor you, you don't do that, 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 that." And then she came back at her really angrily, and somebody in the room said, "You're not supposed to answer an I feel question with facts and stuff." And mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, "Wow, that's a real bre- that's interesting perspective. I never thought about it like that because you have to re- you have to acknowledge how somebody pr- is experiencing something, how it's occurring for them, right. you know." And like, even if you don't agree, you got to have enough respect for them to say that is real for you and not tell them that you're not feeling that. And that isn't the default for a lot of people, you know, especially like if you are in a relationship, because that's just that feeling is inconvenient sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, or you hear that they're saying you did it, you know, and, and there is times when somebody's responsible for how somebody else feels. And there's a lot of times where they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot more times it's not, <laughs> yeah, and it, it gets blamed than than whenever there's actually a fault there, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's a, like a huge thing that, um, I don't know that I see over and over with my friends and relationships, and you know, always pushing all their stuff on whoever, mm-hmm. and you know, then you have the decision: do I am I the um am I the one who has to say um you're put you're putting all your stuff all your shit on that person mm-hmm. or or do I hold my tongue and just say I'm sorry you feel bad <laughs> like you know yeah, yeah it's a t- that is really a tough call like what's the best friend move yeah. there to be like the to commiserate and just say oh you know poor you or to say you know I'm your friend and you know I've been listening to you say this for a long time and it sounds to me like you got a big part in this that you're making a lot of choices mm-hmm. You know, and people don't want to hear that from their friends Mm-mm. a lot of times, no. but it is, <laughs> but you know what, man, I don't know. Like I, I usually try to use my own example with it, you know, mm-hmm. cause I do hear a lot of that kind of stuff. And I say, yeah, I, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. And then try to just say, I hear what you're saying and then acknowledge that and then say like, I, this is what I, I did a similar thing and mm-hmm. this is, you know, yeah, that approach works usually pretty well. It's interesting that we all have to be amateur psychologists in our relationships. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Even just our friendships are like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like I have to be a psychologist with my dogs. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like it's ridiculous. It just, I don't know. Or maybe it's not. Maybe that's like... I mean, it's... I think it's... A, there's a weird paradox or... Um, reflective thing going on there because all of our realities are actually and this sounds like big stoner hippie talk but it's a fact that our realities are are constructed in our head by the way our brains interpret information that it's getting from your eyes ears you know nose Mm -hmm. whatever it pull it brings in all that information which is really just bits of stuff it's like light and sound and whatever and then it puts it in order and then it assigns meaning to it and it makes a story out of it and it says it's this Mm -hmm. you know and it's just a perception it's really all in your head you know and it's not to say it's not real or whatever it's just to to acknowledge that it has been manufactured in your brain you know and so therefore if you're picking through that information and shitting on a lot of it and being really judgmental about a lot of it and being really harsh about a lot of it then you really be in that way towards yourself Mm -hmm. you know and you're creating this internal environment that's real uncomfortable that you then go spreading around that's a really (laughs) good way to look at it yeah I'm working on that, you know. It's <laughs> you're not, it's not always you're not always uh, able to have objectivity, you know. That's yeah. the thing. But that's what friends are are good for, you know. If you've got a strong enough relationship with them, they can hold that mirror up, you know. Yeah. I was just thinking this last night, just to digress a little bit. I just wrote it on Facebook. I was driving Uber last night, and a man was and his drunk wife got in the 
car and he was in the front seat and she was in the back and she was real drunk and she was like babbling on and on about stuff and he kept telling her to be quiet you know and kind of harshly and saying things like you know nobody wants to hear this and whatever and I kept wanting to like say something you know but it wasn't really my place to do that you know but I had to say you know if I'm paying that much attention to the, this dynamic and it's making me this uncomfortable, it's probably some shit I do, you know? And I just need to take from this, like, don't be that fucking guy, yeah. you know? Like, maybe somebody is behaving in a way that's not convenient at a given time, but, like, you can't, you know, you can't put them down, you, you know, you can't, like, you, know, you can't push, like, that. if you're in a couple relationship with somebody, they're, you're in a couple with them, that's a unit, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're you're supposed to sort of support them. So when you're, you're placing yourself in an adversarial um, position with them, I don't know. That's a thing to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Big digression. Yeah. I've definitely had relationships where I felt like I was constantly in competition Mm -hmm. with the other person. And I'm just like in, you know, you get to the point you're like, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to feel that way. Like towards the main person in your life that you have to like compete against them somehow. Mm -hmm. And how the fuck? How why, do you, why we do we get do that? Yeah, we, I've been there too. I've totally fucking been there. And like the person, if you live with them, they become the way you are about a roommate instead of the way you are about somebody you, you love. You right, know? Yeah. And you're go, you're looking at finances. You're looking at fucking leaving the toilet seat up. You're looking at like how they eat the food in the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like also that really doesn't matter in the long run like none of that stuff really matters but so why why does your brain do that to you it's such a fucking i mean here it is it's hard enough to find somebody that you're attracted to that is attracted to you that is willing to share that kind of intimacy with you and all of that and then you go about tearing it down based over totally meaningless bullshit Mm -hmm. you know it's it is a cruel joke that you know that we are inclined to do that yeah yeah so what was the uh um what was the trajectory out of Danville into college? Um, or where did you go? Did I, I'm getting that right? Did, I went to William and Mary. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry about that football game yesterday. I don't know if you care oh, about no. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was a football game yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> William and Mary got their asses beat by U of R. Uh, I don't usually care I'm about not, that either. I'm not but. surprised. I mean, we usually, I, at least from what I remember, we were never super great at sports there's <laughs> a long-term rivalry between William Mary and U of R too but you went you went there and for for undergrad and um I liked it it was good I met a lot of interesting people um and it was good probably that it was in a small town because I was coming from a small really really small town so mm-hmm. it wasn't too overwhelming but we could still get out and go to Richmond or go to DC mm-hmm. to see shows and you know explore it a little bit mm-hmm. without it being that you know much all the time yeah in your face all the time so where at this point um where did the joy division happen for you was that high school or that was college that was was my freshman year of college like one of the first like uh i think i was one of my my ra on my freshman hall one of her friends um was like hey i'm going to this thing do you want to come with me and i was like okay and and I went and it was really cool. And then I ended up being really good friends with her. We're still really close friends. And that was the lecture. That thing. was the lecture okay, thing, okay. yeah. And um and I lived with her for a couple of years. And you know, um it, that was kind of a fortuitous thing that she grabbed me and was like, "Hey, come to this thing," because I wouldn't have gone probably, and I wouldn't have known about it. Mm-hmm. Did she continue to turn you on to records? And um no, um she actually for a while when we lived together in college, yes, uh, we would go to shows a lot together. 
um, she was an anthropology major and she did a lot of projects and studies on like, um, like culture at shows and music scenes and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So we would go to a lot of shows for her projects, Uh (laughs) (laughs) which was fun. Um, but she joined the Peace Corps after college. So kind of wasn't in touch for a while because it just wasn't, uh, there wasn't communication really. Mm -hmm. Uh, she was in Chad for the first year or two, maybe that, is that me? I don't know. You can hear it though, right? Yeah. I think it's the damn computer. Ah. Uh, this old computer. Was, sometimes it picks up what it's doing, you know, mm-hmm. like it's thinking. Yeah, the little hear. like wheels turning. Yes, there. exactly. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so she went in the Peace Corps and was in Chad for a while. So I didn't um, keep in touch and mm-hmm. she wasn't really exposed to much music over there. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so you surpassed her then as you... Yeah, yeah. I think I think now she's more. Um, she does a lot of really cool stuff. She does um, like a lot of uh, social work and stuff like that, and um, has gotten to do really cool things. But um, but hasn't been doing the music stuff as much since college. This is distracting. This yeah. thing. So <laughs> it's okay. Well, whatever. It's gonna. You know, we just can't let it throw us off as we're talking. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. It's never happened before, though. This never happens to me. <laughs> I swear. Come on. Stop it. <laughs> Whoa, that's a good one. I think ah. I got it. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to whack something. Yeah. <laughs> um, shut it. I may have to Is pause the, this. Yeah. Is it the um, pattern on here maybe? I don't think so. This this is all set up exactly like it was just the other day, and it's just it's just not behaving. Yeah, I think there's something up with this cord. But um, anyway, I'm sure that was really awesome to listen to for anyone that is listening to this. Yeah. I apologize, but I'm not going to edit it out. So just place you in the moment in time, <laughs> really authentically. Um, so the the Joy Division, and then getting the Velvet Underground, and what was the other band that you mentioned? Uh, Beat Happening is uh-huh. a really interesting band because they were very um very, very minimal in the instruments they used. They didn't even have their own instruments a lot of the time, and they would just borrow mm-hmm. whatever was available. And um, their songs are super simple, and um, like, but really pretty a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Not pretty in like the traditional, like, you know, beautiful sense, but right, just right. like really like heartfelt and like, I, I don't know, I really enjoy that band. Mm-hmm. Uh- I don't know a whole lot about Beat Happening. Where are they from? Are they British? Um, or? They're West Coast. West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Pacific Northwest, either Seattle or I think maybe Portland. I could be wrong. And they're like early 90s, mm-hmm. I believe. I'm probably getting some of this wrong. <laughs> I, remember, I remember seeing the name on a cassette tape that somebody gave somebody, like, you should check this band out. But so sparse instrumentation. This is, you like this, right? Mm-hmm. Simple and beautiful and not frilly beautiful not purple and you know majestic but like real uh uh, emotional like stuff you can relate to yeah and not emotional like emo like just it just was like i mean they kind of it's it's a little bit like velvet underground feeling Mm -hmm. it has that like you know simple songwriting but like powerful yeah at the same time yes i know exactly what you mean there's a lot in there even and it's a lot more than the sum of its parts Mm mm-hmm yeah. So that is this when you started to decide to play 
Like, what was your trajectory into playing bass and, and like, being in bands? And um, Well, like I said, I played drums first. Um, oh, whenever yeah. I moved to Richmond, um, I moved here with my ex, and we um, had a little apartment. We didn't know anybody. We knew, like, one person in <laughs> Richmond. And um, and he had always played in bands, and so he was bored. Was he, he from here? Or No, he was from Virginia Beach, and we met in college and mm-hmm. then moved you know, after college, we're like, what are we doing? I don't know. Let's move to Richmond. <laughs> Ten <laughs> years since. But um, he wanted to play music and didn't have anybody to play with because we just moved there. So I started playing drums a little bit just, you know, basically because he was bored and wanted to play guitar. And I was like, well, you know, I'll get a drum and like just hit on. I had like two drums mm-hmm. starting out and like would just play on those a little bit while he was playing. Um, and then we ended up hooking up with one of his um friends from college who and my friend too um who lived in charlottesville and he played bass and he would come down and, and hang out and we'd all play together or then we'd go out there to visit him and i'll play out there um and that sort of introduced me to the idea of playing music with other people mm-hmm. and stuff like that and then um and what was that like then were you guys were you writing and like trying to execute things that you'd already written or were you just improvising and making things up or? um we were he wrote a lot of the songs so robert wrote all the songs and um and i just pretty much played drums i just tried to keep beat and like mm-hmm. <laughs> keep up as best i could because i really didn't know what i was doing um but it was fun and it was terrifying mm-hmm. for sure at first like i would get so scared every time we played i would be like oh like <laughs> it was just terrifying but um but it was fun and um and it was hanging out with friends you know mm-hmm. so it was always like a good time and everything um and it was a lot of stuff like that like very simple stripped down easy rock and roll songs um i think that fear part of it when you don't you don't have any mastery and you don't really know what you're doing that's my favorite thing to bring to playing music like you know that and and to have people you're friends with that you are sort of you're sort of afraid that like it's not going to sound good or it's not going to work or you're going to you're going to blow it and everybody else is going to be good but also to have that context that you know these people do want to play with you, yeah. you know, and that there's something there um, as a foundation. But that that tension of like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know I want to do this and I have a desire to do this and there's something that wants to come out of me into that. That's the best shit to mm-hmm. me. I feel like if you get so good that you don't have that, then I don't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Like I, I really... I, I need to know that you mean what you're doing mm-hmm. whenever I listen to a band. If I listen to a band and I'm like, I don't believe you, mm-hmm. then uh, I have no interest at all, no matter what kind of music it is. That's really the thing in Dream Theater. It's not, it's that you could tell they meant it, you know, mm-hmm. that there wasn't anything between them and the, what they were expressing. Like there, that was, it was all there, yeah. you know, and that's how Velvet Underground is, as they say. And not a lot of people bought that record, but everybody that did started a band, you know. Right. Yeah. So drums and evolved doing that? Um, yeah, drums. And then the next band I played in, I played in keyboard, actually. Um, that was a fun, it was sort of like a silly pop punk band. And I had no idea, again, what I was doing or how to play keyboards in a band. I mean, I grew up playing piano, but but playing in a, um, in a like silly pop punk band keyboards is way different. And I, I'm not sure I did the best job with that, but uh, I made it through somehow. <laughs> And um, and it was fun at the time. We played with um, I still played with my ex, and we played with another couple that we were friends with. Um, and that band was uh, Color Kittens. Color Kittens. Mm-hmm. And that was you say it was like kind of poppy. Yeah, it was like pop punk. It was like silly, like party, um, pop punk stuff. 
Well, you, you sound dismissive of that, but like I think that's awesome. You it know, was it was fun thing. at the time. I think, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I like going back and listening to a lot of it. I'm like, oh, why did I do that? That sounds so bad. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, uh, mostly just because I had no idea how to play keyboards in in that uh, band. But it was a lot of fun at the time. We had a good time, you know. And I think that's a lot of it for me is like, whenever I'm playing in a band, is you know, it, it has to be something that I'm enjoying. Mm-hmm. When it stops being fun, when it stops being um you know, uh, a positive thing, then that's usually whenever it's just like, okay, guys, I think it's time. We're... Does that, <laughs> not to get very super psychological about this, but like I was just having this conversation about romantic relationships mm-hmm. and like you could try to figure out what the formula is for that. Like it's got to, a person has to be my same age or they have to have like the same things I do. And, and what I concluded in this conversation was you just have to be able to listen when that voice says, Hey, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. And it's not working. And like you have to be able to not do it and not keep doing it because you have some belief that, you know, you're obligated to yeah. keep doing it. Well, or... I think too with music, it gets tough because your ego gets really tied to it. And you think mm-hmm. like you really start to identify as like, well, I'm the blah, blah, blah player in this band. And that's what I do. That's who I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then identity. Yeah. Even. Yeah. And, and then whenever you say like, you know. Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Then, what does that leave you with? Who are mm-hmm. you without that part of you? Right, it's the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Who are, I may be in a shitty relationship, but it's defining me. <laughs> you know, like so. Who am I without this without- person in this little house we have together, this apartment we have together, mm-hmm. or whatever? And that is a really hard thing to chop off of you sometimes. Yeah, and, and you it have, hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. And so does the band thing. Yeah, I had to say that. I mean, I've been in bands that I I really wanted to be in and gotten kicked out of them, and like. That hurt me way worse than being broken up with, than mm-hmm. a relationship ending. Partly because it would, took more than one person to make that decision. So I was rejected by like three people. Yeah. You know? All at the same time. That <laughs> <Yeah>. was rough. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. But it's, it is so similar to me because I feel like you got to have the same, God damn it, you have to, the same shit is on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, music with people, I feel like. Is often on the line. This is really embarrassing, it, but this part of it, you know, mm-hmm. like the, stuff the, happens. The same, <laughs> right? And it's the same, the same thing is on the line. Like, I mean, there are lots of other things. I mean, you can be, you can be much more psychologically damaged, I think, by a bad romantic relationship than a band. But you know, who knows? But there's to me, there's still this this idea of trying to be make something with somebody. Like, you know, bring what you have, this thing that you don't really get taught and you don't, there's really no school for it. Mm -hmm. This is just what I've come up with. Like, I mean, there is school for music, but most of us aren't, that are kind of in the same thing. We don't like, want that. Like, so you're going about playing music in that amateur way for the love of it, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's about love and you, there's no roadmap for doing something from love, just like there is in a a romantic relationship, right? sure, yeah. So you're just bringing what you've got, and this is all you got, and it's your best, and it still might not it's work, all, right? You know? Yeah, and it's just because, in the, you know, I, it's hard to see it whenever you're in it. I think just like I mean, they, they, I think they exact absolutely work exactly the same, like bam relationships versus romantic relationships. Um, but you know, whenever stuff doesn't work, it doesn't mean that anybody is right or wrong or good or bad or anything. Um, it just means that you don't, at least in my experience with bands, um, it just means you don't really have the same idea about where you want to be going. You know, you yeah. don't, you don't want to be making the same thing anymore. And, and, you know, and I guess I've had the experience with romantic relationships as well. You know, you get to a point you realize 
we don't want the same things Mm -hmm. like and we don't see you know at one point we were like going the same direction and now we're just not it takes a level of of security in yourself though to be able to detach from what that means you know to your identity and that it's just an objective thing Mm -hmm. because most people find it really hard to say a relationship a romantic relationship or a band relationship just didn't work out because of chemistry you know and that means that like if you mix this with this it might fucking explode but if you mix these other things together they make something really good and strong like you could either get glue or you could get an explosion mm-hmm. right and that has nothing to do with the value of the individual chemicals that go into that it has to do with the combining of those properties mm-hmm. and that's how people are but but you know many of us are inclined to say it's just that i'm not good enough you know or it, this didn't work out because i i suck or i'm not whatever you know, I'm not, I'm not the thing I want to be or that they wanted me to be, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really, whether it's a band or a romantic relationship, it's really about like these, these two things didn't make a good, you know, compound mm-hmm. or whatever. And yeah. it, you know, it's hard to have objectivity about that. I think. Yeah. When you're in it, it doesn't feel like that at all. But <laughs> <laughs> So have you had like, have most of your bands been pretty positive experiences for you? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I haven't had, you know, I mean, there's always that kind of awkward point whenever things are breaking up and you and you know that things are going downhill. But um, no, I've, I don't think anything's ever been super negative. No one's been ever like really mean to me or, you mm-hmm. know, I don't have any complaints mm-hmm. like that. No bitterness. Yeah. Out there. And so the bands that you are, Hot Dolphin is no more. Hot Dolphin is no more. But tell me a little bit about that band, because I never even got to see, like, what would be your nutshell history of... Um, well, that is the first band I played bass in. Um, I I kind of was in grad school and started messing around with the bass, because it was in the living room, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to do my schoolwork, so instead I would go and play with the toy that was sitting there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, after... Creative avoidance. Yeah, it was creative uh-huh. avoidance. <laughs> and... Um, about a year through into grad school, I was like, I think I could play in a band with this. I think I, I think I'm ready to like try this out. And so, um, uh, started playing a little bit with, um, my ex with Robert, still Robert. And, um, and our friend, uh, Lindsay, who used to live with us, her boyfriend at the time was playing drums. And so he was like, Oh, let's, you know, let's all get together and play. Cause he was in a psych band. He was playing in diamond center. Mm-hmm. What is his name? Tim. Is he the guy with the longish His hair? Longish, light, like not real blonde, but lightish brown hair. Did he play with Diamond Center when they were here and they were in the at uh, Steady Sounds? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's he played with them really up until they, you know, up until they moved moved on. Okay. And, uh, I think they have some new. I think they have a new lineup down in Texas mm-hmm. now, but I'm not completely sure what that is. Is this this Lindsay? Is no? Is that her name? The one that played keyboards. No, no, no. Different Lindsay. Okay. Different Lindsay. Um, Lindsay Spurrier is uh, my friend. And uh, she um, was like, oh, you guys get together and play. Because he wanted to play drums sitting down. Because at the time in Diamond Center, they had him standing up to play drums. Huh. It was like a, you know, it was kind of a popular like, psych thing at the time, I guess. And they were like. <laughs> right, right. And so, and so he's like, I'm really Kind of a wanna... garage psych. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I just want to sit down and play drums. I'm like, okay. And, <laughs> And, uh, and That's I think, an awesome creative you know, yeah. mission to be on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think really. And I just was like, I don't know. I just want to try playing bass and see what happens. And uh, and Robert was like, I just want to play kind of like loud garage rock songs. I'm like, okay, let's let's see what happens. And you know, 
it was going really well. And then um, Lindsay, my friend, was like, it's not fair. You guys hang out all the time and I don't get to hang out and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, well, why don't you sing? And, ah. then, and then she started singing. And, uh, and it worked out really well. Like she was really, she was great as a singer for that band. And, uh, and we had a great time for a while, but then, um, then Robert and I broke up and went through divorce and everything. And we still kept playing for a, a good bit of that, probably, <laughs> probably longer than we should have tried mm-hmm. to keep doing it. Cause, cause we, I think we, oh, so you were married. I was married. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, whenever we moved to Richmond, we got married like a few months after we moved mm-hmm. here and then we were married for about seven years eight years maybe till the paperwork all came through wow. but um uh yeah so he um that's so, like some fleetwood mac shit yeah right yeah there. yeah <laughs> this is a story that's family it was complicated because like you know you, you know you think romantic relationships are complicated band relationships are complicated then put them together it's maybe, and what if one's working and the other isn't yeah exactly yeah. and that's mm-hmm. kind of how this i felt like the band thing was still working really great mm-hmm. but the romantic part just it, it wasn't anymore and, right um and so we kept trying to play music because we mm-hmm. both really wanted to, I mm-hmm. think. But it just, it, you know, it was messy. It wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't fun anymore like it used to be. Mm-hmm. So eventually he quit the band. And then we tried getting a new guitar player and kind of restructuring things and, and working through stuff. But right on that time is whenever Lindsay and Tim started going through their breakup process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it got messy again. Yeah. And, this really does sound like Fleetwood. Yeah, Man. it was. It was <laughs> really like the first. Except couple you years, didn't make rumors. No, we did not it. make rumors out of it. There was no way that that could have hurt. <laughs> it was just not going to happen. <laughs> um, there was even a Lindsay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lindsay Buckingham. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but we weren't. Unfortunately, we didn't. We did not make rumors. <laughs> but um, yeah. So it just got really messy that last year, I guess. And uh, it, but it was great before then. You know, mm-hmm. before. Things sort of got. It was a three piece or four piece. It was four piece. Four piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then did peace? Did you get? Was peace? Are you a founding member of Peace Piece? Or no, I'm not actually. um, uh, I'm not sure who the founding people are exactly. It might be Brandy and Kyle, along with Kelly and Joe. Um, Brandy and Kyle from Diamond Center. Oh yeah. Um, they all played together for a while, and then when Brandy had the baby. She was playing bass, and she stopped playing with that band because having a baby is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, and they had a couple other bass players sort of in the interim, and they were kind of playing off and on. And um, I actually uh, went up to see Kelly. Um, she's a, a painter, and so she has a right. studio. It's like up above the practice space. Yeah, I've that, been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I went up to see her in her studio to talk to her about ordering some T-shirts. She was going to help me um, get some t-shirts for Hot Dolphin put mm-hmm. together. And uh, we were talking about stuff, and I asked her about how Peace Peace was going. And she was like, oh, we just can't keep a bassist. And I'm like, well, you know, if you ever want me to come jam, I'll try That's it out awesome. and see what happens. Because I like her a lot, like Joe. And um, and so that's how that kind of started. And Kyle was still playing with us when I first started playing with them. Um, but then he left, I think, maybe like not even a year after I started playing with them. He uh, moved to Texas. Yeah. So we've been kind of adjusting. Sad that, that they went. I really enjoy. I had Kyle on here twice. Yeah. Like first uh, by himself, and then we did like him and Ryan Muldoon and uh, Chip Cosby, and we sat around this table and like talked about the, you know, spiritual, philosophical, freaky deaky stuff. Cool. I, I loved having him around as a person who liked all of that shit, and I didn't really take full advantage of it. Until... Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like I feel like, well, honestly, um, I probably was very. Maybe up until, 
until like right before I started going through my divorce and breaking up with Robert and everything, I probably was a lot, I kind of would have dismissed a lot of that. I've been mm-hmm. like, oh, hippie stuff, hippie, mm-hmm. hippie bullshit. I don't care about that. And then um, that summer I started doing yoga a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think, I mean, I think that was really good for me because it really like made me realize, you know, be more in tune with what I actually needed for myself mm-hmm. and, you know, actually realize how I need to take care of myself and yeah. stuff like that, which I completely wasn't doing. I was yeah. just like drinking myself to death and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, partying all the time and, you know, avoiding everything basically mm-hmm. because... It was easier to do that. I know that game. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that kind of, I, I'm really glad I started doing yoga, even though that sounds like a crazy, weird hippie thing to say, because... You know what? We got to take that shit back. I mean, this is not, this is called tantric conversation partly as a joke, yeah. but it's also, I, I'm down with that shit. And like, like, I think this kind of thing is tantric, you know, that people relating to each other and being honest about this, as we were talking about in the beginning. I also a hundred percent have had the experience of doing yoga and... It's not some crazy fucking belief thing. It's mm-hmm. an experiential, you know, getting in union. You're, you're, you know, you have this ego that's trying to fucking time travel all the time. It's trying to be in the future. It's in the past. It's not here, mm-hmm. you know? And you, when you're doing yoga, it gets here. It gets in like what your fucking toes are doing, what your fingers are doing, you know? And, yeah. and then it, and then it stops being this way that you're talking about i'm talking about it right now your fingers your toes it's all fucking you you mm-hmm. know the you know the mind the body the awareness the consciousness all of that stuff is one thing but we tend to talk about it like it's a mecca you know like in those japanese movies like there's this robot that's your body and then there's this you inside the robot driving the the robot around but mm-hmm. you are your body and vice versa and when you do yoga you get you know that means union you know, mm-hmm. and you get unified in that and then you start paying attention to the whole system. Right. And there, yeah, absolutely. You know? Paying attention to how just I think paying attention to how different things make you feel, you mm-hmm. know, like, oh, this pose, I feel like I'm very like I feel lopsided. Like, mm-hmm. Why do I feel lopsided in mm-hmm. this pose? And then being able to take that sort of like examine, like self-examination into other scenarios and yep. being like, oh, well, this makes me feel strange or absolutely yeah and then why why does that make me feel strange i shouldn't you know that's me judging but you know i I shouldn't feel weird about right i was gonna say the (laughs) the tough part of that component the tough component of that and that a lot of westerners have a hard time with and this is the most potentially destructive thing about yoga is when you treat it like a competitive sport Mm -hmm. against yourself yeah which just isn't yeah (laughs) because yeah because we were just talking about well why would you do that with your roommate and the person your girlfriend your boyfriend your your husband your wife the person you live with why you do it to yourself Mm -hmm. you know and you're sitting there saying not only why is this instead of just posing a question why am i feel out of sorts in this position and just being aware of it you start shaming you're like why can't i be as balanced as so and so over there why can't i stand on my head why can't i get my ankle behind my neck you know and it becomes this it's being fueled by that thing you know competition yeah and that's the thing that you know is the hardest to yet most important part of any spiritual practice is to get nice to yourself yeah absolutely we make it hard too i think um you know we're taught from a very young age to be competitive we're Mm -hmm. taught like in school that we have to be you know, you have to get good grades. You have to be better than the other people, other kids in your class. You have to be good at sports. You have mm-hmm. to be, you know, right. class president. You have to be the best. You have to be the best. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's uh, you or them yeah exactly it's exactly how you know i mean maybe not everyone's brought up that way but i I feel like i'm generalizing but i feel like in a capitalist you know society that's I think that's it's a fair advantageous <laughs> for, for people to be brought up that way, you know, it is. to the system. Yeah, well, it is. It's natural, you know. I mean, and when I say natural, I mean like that's nat- the way nature has done it, you right. know. But the the thing is, and I was just thinking about this the other day, is that we've transcended that nature does that to us, as in like we no longer have to be like, well, if it's cold, I have to get the fuck out of here. Well, if there's no food, I have to leave. Or um, if I can't catch the food, I have to die and I don't get to reproduce. That's what evolution was. And that's how humans got to this point. And then we got to the point where we're like, no, we can make the environment work for us. Like if there isn't food here, I'll fucking grow it. You know, mm-hmm. um, if, the, if, if I'm not actually strong enough to get food, someone else will give me food and they will keep me alive so I can reproduce and I can contribute other things. We've transcended that aspect of nature and then we've recreated that dog eat dog shit in our economic system, mm-hmm. you know, and then we say, well, that's just the law of the fucking jungle. Well, didn't we get out of the jungle? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now we're going to say that like whether or not you survive in our society is based on whether or not you can catch the fucking lion, get away from the lion or catch the antelope. And I'm not going to help, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, the humans got where they got because they helped each other right, catch absolutely. a fucking antelope, you know? Yeah. And, you know, they had those, those you know, support networks mm-hmm. or family, tribe, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where everyone took care of each other. And, uh, yeah, we don't, I mean, I think, I think, I hope that, you know, those things are happening more and more now. Mm-hmm. I think because people have better tools to connect with other people who are like-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's less, I, I feel like now we're a lot less isolated than maybe like, especially like turn of the century or mm-hmm. something like that where, you know, in death with industrialism and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, because, you know, it's just amazing like how many people you can meet just like, through the internet or right. through whatever thing it is that you do. And you have so many different ways you can get in touch with people and find people who are on the same wavelength. Whereas, mm-hmm. I mean, like think about like if you live like in the, there wasn't even radio in like mm-hmm. the early industrial. Right. And like, so if there was, you know, you, you were just like stuck doing your factory, you had your family, you had mm-hmm. family units. And that was like, that was your social structure. Mm-hmm. You didn't really. Mm-hmm. That's right. You didn't have exposure to, to more than that. And we now, again, this comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of this podcast is that we have the ability to connect, mm-hmm. you know, and we have the ability to ha- practice compassion and not be competing, but to be collaborating, you know, with the, the people that we can make good chemical connections with and make good bonds with and be a structural positive building thing with you know we can find those people and then we mm-hmm. can get with them and then ultimately i do believe like i believe that that we can all like there's a place for every per, you know person in that grand sort of uh system you know but it can't be it also can't be forced on people like communism or socialism it has to be something that people are made to desire you right. know that we really are better that's how we got where we have gotten by working together and to doing something for the tribe, you know, Mm -hmm. like doing something for the village, doing something for the city, doing something for whatever. It's a, it's a practical thing, just like doing yoga is, you Mm -hmm. know, it's something you can practice and it yields, you know, there's a return on the investment really. Mm -hmm. 
and those guys when they came here chip is a um religious studies teacher at vcu okay and we were talking about consciousness and you know i'm inclined to think of consciousness as something that exists you know in your organism but all over it you know not just in the brain that Mm -hmm. i think there's consciousness in your in all your cells you know, cause they're doing jobs and they know what they're supposed to do and all of that. So there's a certain amount of awareness, you know, and it's all kind of connected to the, the big awareness that's kind of run by your ego. And he said that there are many people today that think there's really just one consciousness and we're all antennas for it. And that while you're alive, you're basically picking up the signal and that we mm-hmm. really, we are biologically of one, truly of one mind. And yet the illusion exists that we are separate from each other and we've created an artificial network through the internet to connect to that notion that's really interesting yeah Yeah. and and so there's this guy terrence mckenna who had Mm -hmm. a do you know him Mm -hmm. so he talked about novelty theory and how fast those things you were talking about happened over the last hundred years and that the exponential growth of those things if you plug it into an algorithm it says that there's going to reach a sort of a, a point he called time wave zero, mm-hmm. you know, where something par- major paradigm shift happens as a result of that. It, it can only go so far in a linear way and then it changes altogether. Mm-hmm. It requires a new framework. And so he talked about the noosphere. He used this old terminology, the noosphere, which where there's the biosphere, it's the planet. And then there's the noosphere, which is, the connected awareness and consciousness of the living planet, us, you know, as extensions of that, you know, we are not separate from the planet. We, the planet, uh, peopled like an apple tree apples to quote Alan Watts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we grew out of this, this bush that is the planet. We're the fruit of it. And then our consciousness connects with each other and it creates another sort of, uh, layer of sort of life on this planet. Interesting. Yeah. And that came from a, a monk or a, a, a Jesuit, a Catholic guy, Teilhard de Chardin. I think his name was Teilhard de Chardin, something like that. He came with us a long time ago. Um, do you, so this is going way down a road, but I mean, I, I believe that we have to stop looking at competition and start looking at connectivity. Right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's just, I think it's such a hard thing to unprogram, you know, mm-hmm. when you're so much of, you know, our culture, that's, a major way in which they judge or, you know, they judge their value as people based on mm-hmm. being good at a thing, better, better yeah. and better than mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. Keeping up with the Joneses. Exactly. Less than, better than. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, and people, there's, you know, there's, of course, you know, there's millions of ways that you can be competitive. You mm-hmm. can be competitive about mm-hmm. appearance mm-hmm. or about well, coolness, m- money, coolness, <laughs> you know, how how connected you are <laughs> that can mm-hmm. even become a competition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um you know and it's just it's amazing like if you like sit back and really notice what people do around you all the time like how ingrained that that desire to compete or feel like you're better mm-hmm. than somebody yeah is it, well, it's and, hard like how do you I don't, I don't know well i think for starters you got to accept that that is natural okay mm-hmm. that is how th- we survived But the thing that is special that points to me at something kind of, I don't know, magical about or or gives me a sense of transcendence and destiny is that we, as one of the expressions of life on this planet, have transcended having to live like that. 
to a certain degree, mm-hmm. you know, yet we still have the, we are still the same organisms from 150,000 years ago that used to live on a savanna and not have a whole lot of choice about it. That's really you know? interesting. Cause you know, that's exactly how I explain, um, I'm a vegetarian and mm-hmm. I've been a vegetarian for a long time. I was going to use a better example than eating an antelope. I probably should have said, no, no, no. But, um, <laughs> but that's exactly kind of the, how I explain my decision to be a vegetarian to people mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I don't, I can, I don't right. have to right. eat an animal right now in my current situation. So I choose not to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> absolutely valid. I agree a hundred percent. And you know that we can, we are in a very versatile animal. Unlike an, like a cat or a dog is designed to be a carnivore. It has a short gut mm-hmm. sack of hydrochloric acid in the middle, takes protein, breaks down, gets rid of it mm-hmm. and we have this really long intestinal tract we do have the ability we have two organs one that will break down animal shit like that another one that'll break down veg- vegetable stuff we have long digestive tracts that are meant to get a lot out of vegetables and stuff i've looked into this mm-hmm. and studied it and it is a matter of choice okay there's not a moral imperative to be a vegetarian or a uh, um or even a vegan mm-hmm. but there's some great mindfulness to practice there. You know, if you decide that living with the most cause the least suffering in the and, and you know, in order, I mean, plants do suffer. You do have to kill a plant to eat it right. and all of that. And at some point you have to find your <laughs> balance there with that. And you don't want to participate in ag- big agribusiness that is, you know, keeping pigs like that and keeping chickens like that. And that's, you know, just like that thing was saying about your internal universe. If you don't have compassion for those animals, there's some part of you that you're not having compassion for. There's some part of life that you don't respect or Mm -hmm. don't value. And to, it's not, nobody's going to shame you into that, but it is a wonderful thing to become aware of and let guide you in your choices. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just think it's, yeah, it's interesting like that to say then also though that, um, that we don't have to, we're also to the point where, you know, in our society where we don't have to have that competition. That's, Mm -hmm. that's really interesting to me because, um, because just because I, you know, because I've used that metaphor for (laughs) for other things and now I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. really? That that's a great way to think about it. Right. To bring it back to that. We don't have to live like that. It, but it, we also have to acknowledge that this notion that one thing is natural and another thing is unnatural. Everything that a human being does is, is in its nature. So therefore it is natural, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's to be competitive and to sometimes not see the connection and not have compassion and not love even the person closest to you that you're actually a blood relative to mm-hmm. <laughs> or somebody that you do love and you're treating them like somebody you don't love. That is part of our nature not to recognize that. And we have to first accept that that is natural. That's not an unnatural state of affairs. It's fucking it's, you know, we're all guilty of it. So it must be normal. Yeah. You know, but we have a higher ideal than that. We want to be better than that. We want to do better than that. And and then the other thing that's natural is us to make tools. So a computer is not an unnatural thing. Mm-hmm. A tool is not an unnatural thing. It's what and we do it like birds build nests. We make shit like this. Mm-hmm. And we make it out of shit that exists naturally in the world. Therefore that is also natural. You know. So we have to recognize our nature and then say, What part of our nature can we like um, emphasize such as connectivity, compassion, group support, community. You know, we're better as a team than we are individually. And what part can we down 
Mm -hmm. you know, it's the old feed the good wolf and starve the bad wolf. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I think too, um, something I've noticed just in, in myself and in, in people I'm close to is whenever that competition, whenever that competitive streak comes up and you really want to prove that you're, you know, better than somebody at Mm -hmm. something, a lot of it just comes down to like not feeling like you are inherently insecurity yeah insecure and not feeling like you're inherently worthy or yeah. of value just mm-hmm. by being alive mm-hmm. like which is you know it's not something i think that we're taught much mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think it's something you have to kind of you have to seek out and you have to learn to feel that like you know i'm okay as i am right now whether i do whether i play music or i don't play music whether i you know i'm a vegetarian or not whether i grow food whether i um, you know, whether I paint or not, like mm-hmm. whether I blog or not, you know, whatever mm-hmm. your, your mm-hmm. thing is that you connect to, you know, having some to get to the realization that you are complete and okay with or without any of those mm-hmm. things and that you and not being attached to them mm-hmm. as a source of your identity value. or source of yourself yeah. of value. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely. That is, that is, and that's a, 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 you know, you kind of need that fucking affirmation all the time. Not only are you okay, you're a fuck, I mean, you're a miracle. Yeah. It really is like, a, a miraculous that you exist. Mm-hmm. You know, the chances are, the odds are against it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and just being able to appreciate like, well, I exist and I'm walking around and mm-hmm. like, you know, especially I know I have lots of friends who have had issues with, you know, body and eating disorders and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, you know being able to realize like, look, your body like moves around. You can like yeah. scratch your head. You can, mm-hmm. um, you can walk, you can crawl, you can, there's do it's doing all kinds of shit yeah, all, all the, the time. time that you have no cult control over that. You're not even participating in. Yeah. It's, your blood is constantly moving. Yeah. You're breathing without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome too. I mean, it's, it's a real mind bender to start contemplating. And then what I've come out of with that is this notion that I've heard before called the wisdom of the body. Your body knows what it's doing, you know, and a lot of it, you, you should actually try to align yourself with this wisdom that like this functioning that it's doing, beating the heart, you know, taking, uh, food in and turning it into energy and then oxygen, uh, oxygenating your blood, all these things that we've labeled, you know, we've made it very mundane by being able to call it all of this stuff, but it's amazing. And it's all being done by a type of consciousness that is in you that is not concerned with petty bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not concerned with who likes you or doesn't like you or whatever. It's concerned with its, it's very important function, you know, and you align yourself with that function. I think that's what meditation and yoga, they both do that. You get to the, you back up from that crazy insecure ego that like needs affirmation is constantly, you know, I mean, people have different levels of that. I can be pretty fucking insecure. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of effort for me. I think for most you know. people, it's a, you know, it's an up and down. Like one yeah. one minute you feel great. You're on top of it. You don't need people to tell you you're great. You're mm-hmm. just, you're good. And the other times you hit that low and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, like, yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone in this room hates me. I need to go home now and mm-hmm. crawl into the blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the comfort I take now is when I say, wait a minute, you know, this thing that I'm, this me the picture, the whole thing, not my brain, but not looking at it all compartmentalized like that is not separate. Not only is this whole thing not, not separate from the components, the hand, the brain, the whatever, all these labels, it's not separate from this planet. It's not separate from this universe, this cosmos. It's all this one thing that these, with the stuff we call carbon was cooked up in stars. Mm-hmm. All this stuff, this is like, this is huge. And it all happened without my bidding 
without my choice, mm-hmm. without, you know, and it saw fit to materialize all of this shit in me, you know? And like, if I just take a minute to center there, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of retarded if I'm worried about what my boss thinks of me at work today or, mm-hmm. you know, why I can't get anybody to play music with me or just these things that seem, you know, can really get me sitting on my couch feeling sorry for myself or going through Facebook resenting yeah, people. Yeah, Facebook will do that. Man, <laughs> it'll really pull out that competitive streak. <laughs> and it's all bullshit. It's, you know, it's everybody's highlight reel. You mm-hmm. don't know what the hell's going on behind the scenes. You know? Right, exactly, exactly. You never know. And, and you know, you know, it's 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 sad that it's so hard sometimes whenever everyone's like, look at this great stuff, great mm-hmm. stuff. And if you're having a bad day, sometimes it's so hard to be able to be like, fuck your great stuff. Yeah. yeah you just want to, <laughs> you know, I know I should be happy for you. I should be excited for you. Um, but oh, right now I just don't feel like, it. you know what? That's part of my, I'm not physically practicing yoga at the moment because I hurt my shoulder and I have like, I've been doing other stuff and I know that there's lots of ways around it. That's just where I'm at right now. And, but one of my yoga practices is to go through that feed, and when I notice that feeling come up, to say, "Nah, now, be happy for that person," you know, just say "Namaste," mm-hmm. you know, just say "Good for you," I'm happy for you, yeah. because that is not my tendency. I'm not. I will never sit on this mic and say I'm some fucking evolved being that has that figured out. I'm just aware that that I want to practice that like I practice everything else, you right. know, like you, you know, getting good at playing an instrument or whatever. Because I'm practicing switching that thought from fuck you to I love you or, you know, if I can be happy for you, I can be happy for me. Maybe that means when something nice happens in my life, I can actually appreciate it. Right. You know, feel some gratitude. So I'll feel gratitude for other people. So that I can feel it. So you can feel <laughs> you, it for yourself later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> On good. On your behalf. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what is your main... Um, well, you went to graduate school uh, for what? Which for is... library science. Oh, yeah. I'm a librarian. Yeah? That's yeah. awesome. I work in a law firm, so that's a little bit odd, and I have conflicting emotions about that, but mm-hmm. um, I do really like that um, it lets me do really interesting research, mm-hmm. and um, and I, th- I think legal information is really interesting just because of the way our system works. It's crazy. It's it's just nuts, you know, mm-hmm. the way that, um, you know, cases and laws and regulations and documents put out by regulating agencies, right. how the way all those things kind of work together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and some of the arguments people come up with, it's just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I really, I'm just interested by that. And there really isn't another place for me to do that kind of work. I don't want to be an attorney. <laughs> right. I, I couldn't do that. I don't think I don't, I have no desire to do that. Um, and most, there's a lot of competition. It's a lot of competition to be an attorney. It's really long hours. It's a real, Mm -hmm. like that's your life. And you have to want to win. Yeah. You have to want to win. You have Mm -hmm. to want to be on top to do that stuff. And that's just not, Mm -hmm. that's not where I'm at. (laughs) Um, and the other option I have with the legal information is if I wanted to work in a law school basically, um, and there, um, I can't really work as a librarian because they require that you have a JD, mm-hmm. a degree from a law school, if you are a librarian there. What does the JD stand for? Uh, Juris Doctorate. I had a girlfriend that was a lawyer, and I've known a lot of other ones that, you know, there are many people who choose not to practice like that, you know, what do you call it? I mean, court law. Court law or uh, litigation. Litigation and all of that. There are many other things you can be doing, contractual law mm-hmm. and and uh, and legislation. And right. all of that yeah, stuff. Absolutely. And legislation, that's awesome, right? That, yeah. 
and yeah, that that's just our system is fucking crazy, but it's like better than anything else. And and all of these checks, all, all of the craziness is checks and balances for all of the different things that you've got to address, and all of the, you know, the conflict, conflicts is paradoxes, and yeah. all of that. Yeah, you know, going back between state law and federal law, like mm-hmm. which one applies here, you know, yeah. in this case, and and sometimes it's like I finding materials especially if you get down to like a really regulatory issue mm-hmm. um a lot of times you know agencies have so many internal documents that they don't publish anywhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's really hard sometimes to get a clear-cut answer on something because you just don't have access to that information yeah. and i think that's a really interesting thing in the legal information field right now is just um the opportunities in the regulatory materials that um that aren't available publicly mm-hmm. but that you can get if you do a freedom of information request right. um there's a lot of opportunities i think out there for people to you know do a bunch of foia requests mm-hmm. and compile all those documents and then make them available foia freedom of information, information act, act yeah. that's how people okay mm-hmm. yeah that is and and you know that is a way to align i think whatever um rebellious or world-changing thing brought you to being an artist and playing music and Things like that. If that was a, a thing, mm-hmm. I know for me it was. It was a certain revolutionary attitude. Like this thing that I was brought up in is not is is imprisoning or not good enough. Mm-hmm. And like I really want to put my energy into the transformation or the revolution or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I, I'm realizing more and more that you can do a lot more good by getting into the system that exists and and working these things out, applying a discipline, applying a, a, an education, applying that. You know, doing something, you know, directed with that passion, mm-hmm. you know. and Yeah, it's just, I think the tricky part with it is, is, you know, not getting lost in the, you know, in the hierarchies and the, the competition in the machine. Yeah, whenever you try and do that, it's it's risky. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. risky, you know. You don't want to get brainwashed. <laughs> so important part of it is you've got to plug in your fucking electric instrument and turn it to 11. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and that way you remember like, oh, yeah, that's what I was doing yeah. the whole time. I mm-hmm. need to remember this part. I think that's an important form of balance is to do this thing that is, I mean, I have musical instruments and a practice space and all that shit. And I'm not in a band and that's like pulling teeth to find people to play with and be in a band with for me for whatever reason. But I just like have to keep saying, you know what? I'm just gonna go in there and I'll I'll play the drums and I'll play the bass and I'll play the guitar and I'll turn it up real loud because I just need to do this to be reminded that this is also me mm-hmm. that I may have eschewed and thrown away the destructive, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll lifestyle part of my life so that I can make some progress, material progress, and not be just you know totally destructive. But that passion that was back of that, you know, the love of that stuff mm-hmm. is still a very important part of me that I have to integrate, you know, and I think it makes me better at my, my boring job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think for me too, I mean, um, I mean, and this is probably not like correct, but if you talk to like a really hardcore meditator or whatever, but, um, for me playing music is really meditative. Mm-hmm. It's repetitive movement. You know, I get very, you know, whenever I'm playing, if I'm, if I'm in the right frame of mind and I'm, you know, when I really enjoy playing is whenever I completely lose track of whatever's going on outside of what I'm doing. You're very in the moment. You're just, you're, you're, your fingers and your, your breath and, you know, mm-hmm. you, your timing. And, and it just, it, to me, it has a very, it has a similar effect to meditation, mm-hmm. I think. And I, w- I agree with you a hundred percent. And if, if I had known when you got here and you were talking about how you lost track of time sitting on your porch, just in being, 
I would have, you know, I would have, what the thought that occurred to me when you said that, I mean, that's meditation. And there's nobody who is seriously into meditation that would disagree with what you just said about playing music either. In fact, Thich Nhat Hanh would say, yes, and washing the dishes, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and eating. It's like, you know, know that you're doing that thing that you're doing and be there doing it, you know. It doesn't fucking matter what it is. The point is to actually be where you are instead of in the future and in the past and in some abstraction, Mm-hmm. You know, and I have shared that experience. Like, I the first time I ever played drums in a band on a stage, I was full of fear. I was like, "This, I'm gonna blow this." You know, I'm not a disciplined drummer. I'm not a trained drummer. I know how to play our songs, mm-hmm. and I've been playing it with my two best friends in a practice space in Brooklyn, and nobody's heard any of it. You know, we tape it and we listen to it. Now I'm doing it in front of people, and I was sitting up there. And I was look. I looked over and I saw my reflection, like the light was shining on me from one side, and I could see myself playing the drums. And I kept saying, "I'm just going to drop the stick or blow this at any minute. I'm going to miss the beat." And it just didn't happen. You know, it was like the f- first moment in my life that I was 100% executing something. Yeah. You know, that, that I wanted to without failing, and even I didn't even allow, like couldn't even talk myself into failing or fucking it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good feeling whenever, like, the feeling when you get off the stage and you, like, were terrified because it was mm-hmm. a new band or it wasn't, you know, the, your first time up there or whatever, and you get off and you're like, oh, I made yeah. it. It wasn't that bad. I, I mostly got it. And mm-hmm. you, usually the things, at least for me, I'm, I'm trusting my friends that aren't lying to me, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but usually the things that I think I really messed up, they're like, oh, I, I didn't notice that. I yeah. didn't hear it. Because yeah. a lot of times it's so small that, you know, Unless you really know what you're supposed to be hearing. You right, right. That's the great thing about playing originals is no one, yeah, has no one knows what they're supposed to, to be like. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, you know, conversely, I will say as a person who has gotten up on bands and fucking sucked, like, and I know now retrospectively I sucked and, like, the band wasn't, shouldn't have been playing. I'm still really glad we did that. And, like, and nobody told me to my face it sucked. You know, at the time I found out later, they were like, oh, yeah, you guys really sucked. But like, I don't know if that would have made a difference, because the thing that that is really important is that you still want to do it regardless of the audience, mm-hmm. that, that that even if they did think it sucked, you know, that you would still want to keep playing and that you would still want to be trying to do that. And I think I ultimately didn't have that with my the band that I played with the longest. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really wanted approval. Like, I wasn't enough invested in it, like. You know, I really believe in this band. I was like, no, I want the can. Yeah, and I've applause. definitely. Yeah, I've, <laughs> it, that's a hard place to get to. You have to really, you know, you have to really believe what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. and the, the thing is too, you know, um, when you when you play to one crowd and they don't like it or they think it sucks or whatever, you know, well that was just them. That was just yeah. their perspective. Like I don't really get into a lot of music that I know lots of people like. You mm-hmm. know and. Con- you know, vice versa, you know, mm-hmm. so it's just sometimes finding the audience, which, right, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> with everything, thing, yeah. the right audience, yeah. you know, the, the one, one person that you kiss might think you're the best kisser ever. The next person be like, you're the worst. Yeah. It doesn't, that's not an, uh, an objective reality. It's just a subjective thing. And such a huge thing to just keep trying until you find the right audience. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, a lot of bands starting off, you know, played to like very few people. I think sex, their sex pistols were one, sure. you know, they, when they played their first show, or whatever it was like to like 
very few people, but mm-hmm. they all those people then went on to be yeah doing great things or whatever. But you know, they just happened to find the right audience, <laughs> even though it was a small one. Right, and it doesn't matter either way. I mean, the way that we would gauge that or judge that is success of amount of ears, you know, amount of people there, and like. You know, we, we constantly, even that when we're trying to be outside of the mainstream of music, we're still judging bands that way, you mm-hmm. know. By number, you know, like by number of people there versus number of people affected mm-hmm. or number mm-hmm. of people who um, who you were able to make a connection with. You can't, mm-hmm. there's no way to like. No, there's no way to quantify. There's no way to know. And to me, that's where f- like a type of faith comes in to mm-hmm. it is you just do it and you just put it out there. And you let it have a life of its own. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to me to be able to believe a band when I see a band Mm -hmm, and to mm -hmm. be able to believe in the band that I'm playing in. Yeah. I have to Mm -hmm. really, for me, that's really important. Like, Mm -hmm. if I can't do that, then then Mm -hmm. when you have those shows that don't go well, what do you have? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, I think this is a really great full circle place to come to and to stop that it's, it's just, you know, it's about believing the truth, (laughs) you know, is it true or not? You know, and can you tell, you know, and if, and, and you have to, you have to ultimately trust your own, um, judgment Mm -hmm. of that too. Thank you for coming over. It's been really, absolutely. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Between that intro and that, conversation obviously some heavy stuff going on all yours truly it's been a heavy it's been some heavy time it's probably why i haven't done so many podcasts i've just been fucking dealing with some shit but I, you know what when i get to sit down with people and talk about this stuff it makes it go so much lighter you know i mean that that was my goal originally is that i heard so many of these podcasts and heard people talk about stuff that they were hung up on and realized that being hung up on shit is a universal condition of the human experience and therefore I can be less hung up on it because there's being hung up and then there's paying so much attention to being hung up on something and that's that's the rub you're going to get hung up you're going to have downtime you're going to have you're going to feel bad life's got its ups and downs how you ride those ups and downs can change. You can't change the ups and downs, but you can change what they, how they go for you. You know how you experience them, how much energy you feed into them, how much you pump them without indignation and outrage and all of that. So I love. I mean, I put that out there. I also love talking to people. Um, that was a great conversation with Allison, and the one I have coming up next with Kevin Willoughby, equally awesome. And we had we just, both of these happen on a Sunday, and I think so did the Billy Christopher one. It seems to be getting to be a pattern, and I'm feeling real spiritual and reflective on Sundays, and I get people over here sitting in my in the afternoon light in my house, and I guess I'm just you know it, it takes the conversation in a certain direction for sure. Really enjoyed them. If you're looking for talk about music and the arts, though, it's minimal. It's just mostly about the human experience, I guess, or a couple of humans' experiences. But then I guess that's what music and art is about anyway, right? I think so. So, uh, so a needle pulling thread, a nose that follows so, tea, a drink with jam and bread, ah, a long, long way to run, etc. I don't remember the rest of that, but. 
It always pops into my head. One of my favorite forms of free association has to do with the sound of music. It's one of my favorite things. Get it? <laughs> 